0: Hi. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. How is your daughter, uh, Melanie? Is she gonna is she still here? She's still here until January 9th. All good to get back. No problems. We don't know. All right. We'll find out. <laughs> but it should be fine. Fantastic. Look at that, Chris Garriott. All right. Hey, Chris. Morning. Good to see you, brother. How are you? Okay. Good. How are you? We're well, thank you. Good. Good. Good to have you join us. I've been over in Jamie's class, but I was going to jump over here today. Well, welcome in. Oh, very exciting! <laughs> Jumping around. <laughs> we are grateful. Very grateful. Rock has really enjoyed Jamie's class. <clears throat> I've been listening in the evening. On Sunday evenings, I've been listening to Jamie's <laughs> class. so I'm getting a little bit of both. Oh, double is Jamie. Not, is he not teaching today? He is. Yeah, no, he records his and, you know, sort of just like being there. He records the, the video portion? Oh, uh, yeah, yeah yes. <laughs> He uses a lot of slides. So he has a PowerPoint presentation, and uh, then he keeps himself up in the little corner, so you always see him as well. Okay. Very nicely done. Good morning, Janice. Good morning. How art thou? I, I art great. And <laughs> so much the better for seeing you. Thank you. Dito. <laughs> <clears throat> Happy New year to everyone Happy New year okay Good morning yeah. gonna look and see where am I looking here <laughs> There we go. Give a minute or two for folks to join us <coughs> So Chris Garriott everything gonna Hi. be um remote this semester as far as you know yep yeah I think I don't think it's gonna really change much at all uh. Yeah, I don't think I don't think we're gonna be seeing really anything any difference. Sadly. Sorry. <laughs> we'll see, we'll see though. I mean we'll kinda like see what we can do, but you know, most whatever kids did in the fall, pretty much that's what they're doing. They're not gonna like you know, all of a sudden let all these other students come back on campus or anything. Right. Right. If they were there in the fall, they'll be able to come back in the spring, so it's kind of good. Mm. Good, good, good. Well, guys, 9.16 is probably uh, a good time for us to get started. And do I need to, do we need to push the record on this or is it re- is recording? Okay, good. <laughs> Alright, well, class. This is the reign of life. We're studying Romans 5 to 8. Uh, it is Sunday morning, January 3rd, 2021. Let me pray for us, <clears throat> and then I'll call up our handout on screen share. Let's pray. Oh Lord, how good it is to join our hearts together and with one heart and one mind and one voice proclaim the glory of Christ together, our risen, conquering King, Lord of Lords, King of Kings, Shepherd of our souls, the Head of of this Church, our Lord, our Savior, the Sovereign One, who bids weary sinners come unto me, and you will find rest. Take my yoke upon you, for I am gentle and humble in heart. Thank you that we have found the heart of Jesus Christ gentle and humble. We have found the work of Christ to be all that we need to be right with our God. So we praise you, Lord Jesus, for your blood and your righteousness, the cleansing power of your cross, and your perfect life given to us as a gift, whereby we stand before the throne faultless. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Lord, we're looking at this wonderful doctrine of election that from all eternity you chose us in Christ, that we should be holy and blameless before you and love you predestined us to adoption as sons and daughters. What could be better than to know God as our Father, Jesus as our brother, and to know the riches of the glory of your grace? So we exist to the praise of the glory of your grace. May we never tire of it. By the Holy Spirit this morning. Minister that grace to our hearts. Open the eyes of our hearts to see more clearly the wonder of this grace that you yourself, when we were dead in our sins, made us alive together with Christ, raised us up together with Christ, and seated us with Christ in the heavenly places so that in the ages to come you might show the surpassing riches of the kindness of your grace toward us because Jesus has saved us and made us like himself. So use this time together in our sanctification, in our growth in grace. Use it to make us like him, reflecting back to our God and Father something of the beauty of the image of the Son, and thereby pleasing his heart and Jesus by the power of the Spirit. We pray in his name. Amen. Okay, gang, I'm going to screen share. Wait, can you see that? No. Can y'all see that? Oh wait, I did it wrong, I did it wrong. All right, here we go. Shoot. <sighs> all right, give me a second. Um, why don't I see it, Frank? Is it open? Well, it's, it was, I don't think I, I think I had it. Um, uh, hold on, gang. See here. I had it on my desk. Okay. Do this here. Sorry. I had it down here. I didn't have it open here. Now I think I can do it. Now I got to get back to Ah, uh, wonder if I lost them. No. I'm it there. Let's see. Right there. Hit that? Mm-hmm. Hit the bottom corner there. Yep. All right. on my back, guys? There you go. All right. I got we, it. Can, we can see you. I, I know. Give me a second. Um, right there. I've got un, to undo my mute somehow. Can't hear me? Yeah, we can hear you. Oh, good. Okay, good. Woo! Thank you, Frank. Okay, gang. We um scrolling down. In the handout, don't get too dizzy, to right here. We want to make the point as we talk about the doctrine of election. Everybody see it okay? Yes, good. Uh, That election serves the glory of God. Remember, God gives you the doctrine of unconditional election That is, he chooses you, he predestines you to salvation, not through anything seen in you or that what you would do, but simply by his sovereign, free, gracious choice. He gives you this doctrine for your comfort, not to speculate about who's in and who's out. As far as you're concerned, anyone else in the world should call and may call on the name of the Lord Jesus with certainty he will save any sinner who desires his salvation. That is why we do the gospel. God ordains the end as well as the means. The end of God calling his elect to himself is accomplished by the means of our sharing the gospel with people. So this doctrine comes to us for our comfort. Almost every New Testament church that is written to is undergoing some stress and persecution. And this doctrine is answering the question, why am I a Christian? Why? God did this. God made me alive when I was dead. God gave me sight when I was blind. God unstopped my ears to hear the wonderful message of salvation in Jesus. It's not answering the question, how do I become a Christian? The answer to that question is, you believe the gospel. It's not answering the question, who who can become a Christian? That's the doctrine of evangelism. As far as we're concerned, we take the good news to the ends of the earth according to Christ's command in Matthew 28. Go make disciples of all nations. So the point we want to make is, why are you a Christian? Well, so that God gets all the glory in your salvation. I would maintain that if your view of salvation is, it's up to you, you must make the decision, God doesn't force himself on you, he lives it up to you to make the final decision, then you have something to boast about, right? You made a good decision, somebody else didn't. God gets all the glory. The text that stresses that and lays that out most beautifully and clearly for us is Ephesians 1, 3 to 14. It turns out this is one sentence in the original Greek. From 3 to 14 is one long sentence. You'll notice in this breathtaking perspective on our salvation that our salvation is the work of the triune God, the Father who wills it from all eternity, the Son who accomplishes it, and the Holy Spirit who applies it to us. And so, therefore, you'll notice that the way Paul talks about your salvation, praising God for it, is that your salvation is past, present, and future. So here's how he begins. And again, this is the clearest place, well, apart from Romans 9, where Paul says that the reason God saved you was that you would display the glory of his mercy, those who are not saved, to the display of God's justice. But here Paul just heaps up the language of how we are saved and exist to the praise of his glorious grace. So here's how Paul begins Ephesians. Of course, we, we looked at chapter 2. We're going to go back into the second, second part of chapter 2 this morning. Paul writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Praise. Praise be to God. Why? <clears throat> he has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. I've tried to make bold in this handout all the references to union with Christ. And if you've been with our study from the beginning of Romans 5, you know that to be a Christian, Paul's favorite way to speak of a Christian is that a Christian is in Christ. And so it would stand to reason that every blessing we have is because we are in Christ. What's true of Christ is true of you faith unites us to Christ. So everything that can be said about Christ can be said about us. We're, Of course, we're not the eternal son of God, but we are sons of God through our union with Christ. God has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. The heavenly places are where Christ dwells now. He's going to tell us in chapter 2 that we've been raised from death to life and actually seated with Christ now in the heavenly places. So the source of all our spiritual blessings are in Christ. And then what Paul does beginning in verse 4 is he begins to delineate some of those spiritual blessings. He wants his readers, he wants you and me to lay our eyes upon, to have our hearts seize these spiritual blessings. These are given to us to enrich us, to comfort us, to embolden us, to give us confidence, assurance, rest in who we are in God, and bring forth those two graces that we said last week, the two ultimate things God is looking for in the hearts of human beings, humility and praise to Him. What doctrine brings that to pass? If the doctrine of election doesn't, I can't think of anything else that does. So he's blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And here they are. He chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. When did God first think of you? Long before you were born, before the foundation of the world. God looked at his son. He knew he was going to create you. He united you to his son in a sovereign choice that you would belong to Jesus. Mm, the Father knew you long before he created the world. He chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. To what end? That we should be holy and blameless before him. God wants to fill the earth and fill heaven with those who look like his son, Jesus. That's why we saw in the Romans 8 passage, we have been predestined to become conformed to the image of his son. God is passionate for the beauty of his son. He's going to make you just like him, holy and blameless. And we will ultimately be that perfectly in this life. We are slugging it out with the devil, the flesh, and the world. In our pursuit of that holiness, our pursuit of that blamelessness, we stumble, we fall. But what we rely on ultimately is the grace that we have in God, not our performance, Christ's performance. In love, now that, that phrase could either go at the end of verse uh, 4 or it could start at the beginning of verse 5. It's not entirely clear. Either way, in love, he predestined us for adoptions, right? That's chosen, predestined. He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. Uh, how? According to the purpose of his will. This is what God is bringing about on the earth. He's working out his will, which is to bring you into relationship with his son. To the praise of his glorious grace. There it is. Election serves the glory of God. So every time you think about your salvation, you should remember, he chose me in Christ with the foundation of the world. Praise you for your grace. Never stop Praising him for his glorious grace. What's glorious about it? What's glorious about it is that when God saves people, he loves his enemies. He exchanges his son for them on the horrific cross. It's glorious because he looks upon you in your dead condition. This is what he'll get into in chapter two that we've seen in the last few weeks. It's glorious because he looks upon you in your dead condition and he brings you to life even when you were dead. That's glory. May our hearts never tire of it, never cease to lose our sense of awe of it. This grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. That shouldn't surprise us at this point. Every spiritual blessing we have in Christ, in the beloved. Jesus is the Father's beloved. If you live to the praise of his glorious grace, he's also your beloved Savior. In him, in Christ, more about union with Christ, we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses. How? According to the riches of his grace. Paul loves to heap up the adjectives. He, his heart can't get enough of the overflowing of what God has done. According to the riches of his grace. Which he what? He sprinkled upon us? Which he doled out with an eyedropper? No. Which he lavished upon us. Grace is lavished upon us hey, it's got to be, we need lots of it. (laughs) We need lots of it because of our sin, our rebellion, our stiff-neckedness. We need rich grace to bring us from death to life, which he lavished upon us in a wisdom and insight making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him things in heaven or things on earth what is god doing in earth history uniting all things in his son the lord jesus christ and you'd think okay paul that's great i get it that's enough you couldn't have said any more about it Phew, good let's take a break let's go on to the next thing no no he goes on verse 11 in christ so here's future now we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined, looking past, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his own will. My salvation is according to the counsel of God's own will. Every detail in my life has been worked out according to the counsel of God's own will. So that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be, what's the goal of your salvation? To the praise of his glory. Election serves. The glory of God. Not your glory. Not anyone else's glory. We who hope in Christ. We trust in Christ. We rely on Christ. We believe Christ is our future. We believe Christ is the only reason we have anything before God. It's all Christ. We we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. Why were you saved? The praise of his glory. In him you also. He can't get away from what we have in union with Christ. When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him. Now, notice what Paul is doing here. Remember that in Romans, in this section that we're in in Romans, beginning around verse 28, Paul is dealing with suffering believers... And he's peeling back the veil of what we see with our eyes in this natural world, and he wants to show us what's going on in the unseen world to have tremendous comfort and confidence, to have our souls rest that no matter what is happening, God is sovereignly working out His purposes. Those right, God works together for good to all things to those who love Him, according called according to His purpose. And so, the uh, so believers who are suffering. And so what he's doing now is he's, he's looking at, so we can look at salvation from what is happening in the heavenly places. God elects, God predestined, God works behind the signs to bring us to faith. Or you can look at your salvation from the, from the perspective of what happened in your, in your own experience. What did you do? Here's what happened. You heard the word of truth. That's how people get saved. They hear the word of truth. That's why we develop relationships with our neighbors, our coworkers, our family members, so that when we share with them the word of truth, it comes in a context, in a relationship. So Paul, in verse 13, is describing your salvation from the perspective of what happened in your own experience. When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you believed in him, you trusted him, it probably felt like you were in control of the process at the time. Fine, God's okay with that. The truth is, He gave, as we're gonna see this morning, He gave you the gift of faith. He worked that belief in you. The Holy Spirit created that faith and repentance in you. And then He goes on to say, We were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. Why? To the praise of his glory. The fact that you have the Holy Spirit is this down payment that you will forever be in God's presence, glorified, enjoying him, praising him for his glory, seeing that glory with your eyes. So notice that I underline in this portion all the things God is doing according to the purpose of his will, and it's to the praise of his glorious grace. I think that's pretty clear. Our salvation, our election, our belonging to Jesus is all to the praise of God's glorious grace. So remember that right after this, Paul begins to pray in verse 15. He prays three things, that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Among those three things, he says, I pray that you would know the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. And then in chapter 2, we saw that Paul is answering the question, oh, how is the surpassing greatness of God's power toward us who believe exercised?" Well, it's exercised by when we were dead, he brings us to life. And we looked at that passage, and now we want to skip ahead and look at the relationship between grace, salvation, faith, and good works. And this is where he ends up in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Paul writes, For by grace... You have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works that no man may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. There you have every Christian really should have these uh, three verses memorized. We often memorize. 8 and 9. We need to add verse 10 because it's the complete gospel. The gospel includes the reason you're made new in Christ and that is for a new lifestyle. So let's tease it out here. Paul has celebrated the fact that when you were dead he brought you to life. You've been saved by grace so that in the, in the ages to come God might demonstrate the surpassing greatness of his, of his power toward us who believe. So now he's sort of steps back, and he pulls it all together. Summary, for by grace, you have been saved through faith. Are you saved by grace, or are you saved by faith? Well, both. Here is where Paul identifies two causes of our salvation. Theologians distinguish between the material cause of salvation, grace, and the instrumental cause of salvation, faith. So you are saved by grace. Grace is answering the question, what does God supply for you to be saved? He supplies freely, undeservedly, everything you need. And that is the righteousness and the death of Jesus. So the grace of God is God giving you Everything you need to be right with God, and it is found in Christ alone. Christ alone. It's not in you. This is grace. Everything you need to be right with God, God supplies in Christ. So, Jesus then is the material cause of your salvation. You are saved, so you could answer the question this way When were you saved? You were saved in 33 AD when Jesus died on the cross because he purchased your salvation right then. You could also say, well, I was saved in 1971. I believe the gospel. Yeah, that's true too. You were saved materially through the work of Christ. It was completed in space and time. God willed that salvation, God the Father from all eternity. Christ accomplished that salvation in the first century in Palestine. And then in space and time, God applied that salvation to you when he effectually called you to himself by the Holy Spirit. So grace is the material cause of your salvation. The instrumental cause is faith. Notice that you have been saved as a passive voice. There are different voices in Greek verbs. Uh, the the um, active voice is something you're doing. When it's passive, it's done for you or to you. You have been saved. That is answering the question, what do I need? Well, I need to be delivered from my sins. I need to be redeemed. I need to be cleansed. I need the perfect righteousness without which no one will stand in the presence of God. I need to be set free from the kingdom of darkness. Where does God supply that for you? It's all in Christ. So by grace, you have been saved. Past tense. You've been saved because you believe the gospel through faith. And this word through in English is the Greek preposition dia, D-I-A. You see it there in the handout. It simply conveys the idea of a vehicle or instrument. So the way you access personally, existentially for yourself, this salvation that exists outside of you, the work of Christ, strictly speaking, exists outside of you. You did nothing to be saved. It's all done by another. Christianity is the religion of the substitute. Someone else takes the guilt of your sin in your place. Somebody else takes the wrath of God. Somebody else lives the perfect life you owe God. It's all done outside of you. But how do you receive that personally? How do you get it for yourself? Through faith. You receive it through faith. And this is... uh, This is not a positive work or accomplishment of the individual. This is answering the question, how do I receive what God supplies? I receive it by trusting it, by taking it, by believing it, by resting upon it. So salvation, in a sense, is a promise. God says, if you take my son Jesus, I promise to forever treat you as if you have done everything Jesus has done. Take Jesus and what's true of you. You've kept the law of God perfectly and you've paid the penalty for sins. Salvation is a promise. God makes a promise. So our salvation ultimately is only as good as God is in keeping his word. It's a promise. Call on the name of the Lord and you will be saved. So we receive what God supplies by trusting a promise. We trust a promise. That's what faith does. If God says it, I believe it. It's verified in history. Christ accomplished it. And Paul then says, and this is not your own doing. (laughs) Why is he saying this? Because your salvation is to the praise of his glorious grace. If this were your doing, it would be to the praise of you. But it's not. It is the gift of God. And here there's a little bit of confusion because you have to ask the question, what is the antecedent of it? And antecedent is a fancy word that says, what of the words that precede it in verse eight is it referring to? Does Paul mean to say, by grace you've been saved through faith, this not of your own doing? Grace is a gift of God? Or is faith a gift of God? It's a little uncertain because the, uh, the, um, this is neuter in the Greek, And both grace and faith are feminine. So it's impossible to tell what exactly is the antecedent of this. Here's my guess. My guess is it's faith. Of course we know grace is not our own doing. It was done by Jesus. But grace, by its nature, is a gift. Grace essentially means a gifting of blessing. And so Paul wants you to see that faith is not your own doing. He has worked this faith in you. Because see, if faith is your doing, there's a sense in which you're saved by works. You're saved by the work of believing. No, we're saved by grace that he supplies. We're saved by the faith that he works in us. Either way, the emphasis is clear. So you see the point there parenthetically. Otherwise, faith would be a work, a response to the command to believe. So Paul is bending over backwards. Your salvation isn't of you. This is what makes it so secure. Because if it's of you from the beginning, you could forfeit it. If God sort of starts a process draws you to himself, as some people believe, but then leaves the ultimate decision up to you and you make the ultimate decision, why couldn't you ultimately forfeit that decision? That's why the Armenian said, it is not altogether clear that you can't lose your salvation. So for by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not your undoing. It's the gift of God. It's his pleasure to give you grace and faith and to save you. Verse 9, not a result of works that no man may boast. No one is going to stand before the throne of God once saved and boast about anything. Our boast is in the Lord. And the sooner we start boasting in the Lord, the better. Why? He saved us to the praise of His glorious grace. One aspect of our sanctification is learning to make our boast in the Lord. This is God. He has saved me. He's my delight. What has God done for me standing in all of it so that no man should boast. And I do believe that if faith ultimately originates in you, if the Arminian view is correct, you have something to boast about because you made a good choice. No, it's a gift that God works in you. It's not of your own doing. It's the gift of God. Not as a result of works that no man should boast. How sad, right, beloved, that there are so many people, well-meaning people in churches in America who go to church thinking, if I be a good person, I'm going to heaven. So many people they don't understand the gospel. Janice and I watched on Netflix uh, the other day something called uh, The Gospel in America. It was recommended by Friday's edition of The World and everything in it by World Magazine. So we watched it, and it's really all about the gospel and how many of there are just false gospels being preached, You know, if you're a good person, you try your best, God will accept you. That's absolute baloney and makes a mockery of the work of Christ. If we can be accepted by God by what we do, Jesus was wasting his time, throwing away his life. That's just an anti-gospel. I know you believe the true gospel and I praise God for it. Why did you believe it? He worked that faith in you, not as a result of works that no man may boast. And that's not the end, though. See, this, this whole thought continues for we are his workmanship. That Greek word is poema, from which we get poem. We are his literary work of art. We're this this thing God has created. We're his workmanship. If salvation ultimately originates in me, I I can't say that. I have to say I'm my own workmanship. We're his workmanship. When did he begin that work? Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. Every good thing you've endeavored for God's glory as a Christian, God had already prepared and he is bringing it to pass to the praise of the glory of his grace. Why were you saved? You were saved for good works. And you were created in Christ Jesus. Uh, that's a passive verse, a voice again for uh, you were created by God, not by yourself. So the gospel then, the gospel is saved by grace, through faith, for a different life, for good works. So let's look at our little equations here. That means that there are ultimately four possibilities that you could look at how people are made right in the sight of God. Let's just use justification as our code word for that. Justification, having a state of complete acceptance before a holy God. Here are the four possibilities. By your efforts, you are justified. The technical term for that is legalism or works righteousness. People who believe this generally think this way. Good people go to heaven, bad people go to hell. Do your best. God will accept you based on your performance. If you know anything about the Bible, you know that doesn't even come close to what the Bible teaches. So that's one possibility, and as I said a few minutes ago, sadly, that is many religious people, many people who celebrated the birth of Christ at Christmas, who still think it's their responsibility to be good enough to go to heaven by what they do. That is abject heresy. Second view, faith, you need Jesus, plus works, leads to complete acceptance before God. This came up right in the beginning of the church. The Jerusalem Council in Acts 15. They had to call a special council because people who had believed in Jesus were then saying the Gentiles have to be circumcised in order to be saved. You have to add to the work of Christ something that you do. And many people are confused in their Christian lives. They say something like this. Oh, you need to trust Jesus, but you have to do your part. Uh, non Protestants say that, and I would uh, suggest to you that this is the Roman Catholic view of salvation. If you read carefully the doctrines in the Council of Trent, this is uh, what the Council of Trent teaches, that we need the work of Christ, but we're ultimately saved by adding our works to that as we lean on the sacraments and we depend on the church for grace. In fact, if you read the Council of Trent carefully, Uh, It anathematized the doctrine that I've been teaching you on justification as imputed righteousness. That's a different bunny trail for a different day, but please note, this is one, one view of salvation. You need Jesus, you add your part on the strength of that, God accepts you. And of course, in that view, you have to ask what question? Well, what is lacking in the work of Christ that you can add anything to it? Did Jesus Christ not live absolutely perfectly in your place under the Lord? Did He not keep the law of God perfectly? Yes, He did. Did He not put away all of your sins on the cross? Yes, He did. So what are you lacking in Christ that you could possibly add anything to it? I think to give people the benefit of the doubt in this view, what they are concerned about is antinomian, which takes us to the next antinomianism, which takes us to the next view, which is this. We're saved by the work of Christ alone, we're saved by the work of Christ alone, regardless of what we do, regardless of what we do. And this person basically says, if you insist on Christ being Lord, you destroy the gracious gracious nature of salvation. If you insist that people repent and they're repenting of themselves, that becomes a work that destroys salvation by grace, through faith, through Christ alone. Antinomianism—it's a, it's a Greek word that means against the law. If you introduce any human work into salvation, you've destroyed the nature of salvation. Of course, we agree with that. Now, this is a, this is a very important heresy to deconstruct, and I want to—I have to name names. I'm sorry. I hope this doesn't offend anybody. But there was a, a controversy that was brewing in the church in the late 80s called the Lordship Salvation controversy. You may have seen the book by Charles Ryrie, Zane Hodges, John MacArthur wrote a response. There were Michael Horton wrote a response, and I just want to show you that um, this is the specific teaching. Specifically, uh, they came out of Dallas Seminary, in, uh, in, in Dallas Tech, uh, um, Dallas yeah Dallas Theological Seminary yeah, and um, but this, uh, Charles Rivey is a wonderful, godly Christian man, a dear Christian man. He wrote a book called So Great Salvation. And I just want to read you some direct quotes from that book to as illustrations of this view. <coughs> he wrote, Salvation is believing the facts about Jesus' free offer of forgiveness, whether or not one chooses to obey him. Does that sit well with you? I don't think so. He wrote, insisting on receiving Christ as Lord becomes a meritorious work that destroys the nature of grace. Again, I think the reason that's written that way because there's likely a failure to understand that both faith and repentance are gracious gifts God works in us. See, if I repent of my own doing... That's a meritorious work that distorts the gracious nature of salvation. But our confession teaches that repentance unto life is a gracious work the Spirit works in us. Faith is a gift. Repentance is a gift. These are things that God brings to pass in us. He writes, repentance and faith are inseparable because repentance is a synonym for faith, which is a change of mind about who Jesus is. Now, the Greek word for repentance, metanoia, literally means change, metanoia, of mind. But if you look at how the Bible uses repentance, it's really a change of direction. Your mind is changed about what's true about Jesus and about what's true about sin and your eternal destiny. And you change directions in your life. You turn from yourself to the Lord. You stop serving yourself in idols. And you turn and you serve the Lord. So I think this is an unfair definition of the doctrine of repentance. He's just saying you just change your mind about who Jesus is. Jesus is Savior. I take Savior. I think that's an inadequate definition of this. He then writes. Believing in Jesus is commitment to him for eternal life. Not for years of life on earth. Well what about all. Yeah. I, I don't think so. And uh, finally, the call to follow Jesus is only for believers. It's not a requirement for salvation. So he would say, when Jesus says, come to me and be saved, that's for everybody. But follow me is only for Christians. So I will tell you that in response to this book, uh, a reformed theologian named John Gerstner, who was um, R.C. Sproul's mentor who was a friend of Charles Ryrie, actually entered into serious dialogue with Charles Ryrie about this and said, you're teaching antinomianism. Antinomianism is a heresy in the church. Uh, Charles Ryrie did not want to be a purveyor of antinomianism. And they went back and forth on this. And eventually, the dialogue went nowhere. I want you to be aware that this is a teaching in the Christian church. This, what you're looking at there, is heresy. It is not the gospel. So to say we're justified by faith regardless of how we live, and what we're going to do is we're going to explore in detail how James deals with this in James chapter 2. I'm going to get to that. But here's the gospel. We're saved by faith alone, but not by faith which is alone. We're saved by faith. The work of Christ is what justifies us. We trust the work of Christ. That's enough to justify us. But the faith that believes that works. Doesn't Paul say in verse 2 of Ephesians, you're created in Christ Jesus, right? Read, you're given faith and repentance in Christ Jesus for good works. God does, the gospel is liberation. You're not just delivered from the penalty of sin. You're delivered from the power of sin. And this is where Paul is beginning in Romans 6. If you're in union with Christ, what's true of Christ is true of you. The penalty of sin has been paid by Christ. And you're free from the power of sin. So God doesn't, doesn't save us to, to stamp our passport to heaven and say, you're forgiven. Now, the antinomians would ins, would beg you to follow Jesus, would tell you to follow Jesus, but they don't insist upon it. We believe Jesus in the Gospels absolutely <laughs> insist upon it. You can't separate Christ and his offices. He is priest. He is prophet. He is king. He is Lord and Savior, not just Savior. So that's what gave rise to the Lordship salvation controversy, which I don't know how much it's brewing in the church uh, right now. So you're saved by faith alone. This is the doctrine of the reformers of salvation, but not by faith, which is alone the gospel tells us we are saved for good works Titus 2 the grace of God has appeared instructing us to deny ungodliness and unrighteousness what does the gospel do it teaches us to turn to a new lifestyle because God has purchased for himself a people for his own possession zealous for good works okay so I I just wanted to tease out these, these somebody needs to mute there who might be on their cell phone thank you um, so here are the quotes on lordship salvation. We, 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 this is a dangerous heresy. Um, this is why there's a ton of people walking around who say, uh, are, are you saved? Oh, yes. How do you know you're saved? Well, when I was 20, I, I heard a gospel preacher. I said the sinner's prayer. And I got saved that instant. Maybe but there's been no fruit in your life ever since. So I think we'd have to ask the question, why do you believe that prayer was sincere if there's been no change in your life, right? Okay, so there you go, folks. This is um, this last equation, faith produces justification plus work. This is what Paul is teaching right here in Ephesians 8, 9, and 10. By grace you've been saved through faith, it's not your undoing, it's the gift of God. When God works us in you, what happens? It's not of you that you would boast and you have this sense, wow, I'm a new creature. I am God's workmanship. Why did he make me new? For good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Ultimately, that's Paul's way of saying you were saved to reflect the image of the Son. So every day you and I need to ask ourselves the question, how, what am I thinking, what am I saying, what am I desiring that comports with the beautiful image of Jesus? And you know that because you're reading about Jesus in his word, particularly the gospels. You're looking at who Jesus is. This is the life God calls you to imitate, not to save you, but to reflect back to God something of the beauty of his son. This is what he is after. Uh, to the praise of his glorious grace on the earth. Let me pray for us, and as I promised, we will look at James chapter 2 next week. If you want to look ahead, uh, take a look at James 2, beginning at verse 14. Let's pray. Lord, the gospel is good news. It's euangelion. It is a declaration that you have rescued us from a helpless hopeless, horrible state and that is being dead in sin where we don't even know what we don't know. You have brought us to life in Christ. You've shown the light, the glory of God that is in the face of Christ into our hearts and there you have brought the knowledge of Christ and you brought us to faith. You've given us the gift of repentance. These are worked in us by the spirit we have nothing to boast about. Let us be people who constantly stand in awe of your grace because you have saved us to the praise of the glory of your grace. It is stunningly glorious. May we never outlive our sense of awe of it. I pray for my brothers and sisters that this person you have made them, created them in Christ to be, they would produce this week, this day, those good works that you prepared beforehand, delighting in them, knowing they don't save them, but they show a heart that's been united to Christ. They show the work of the Spirit in them. Bring glory to your name through through those works, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, stop share. You're welcome. It's good to see everyone. Thank you. How was Christmas, you guys? Did you have a good one?